0: Wait a minute. minute. Hear this. Growth Farm Production. This is the Scalable Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenti. And each week, we will go on a journey, a journey that will inspire you, motivate you, and help you be the very best you can be. Our focus will be on mindset, tactics, and the strategies that will enable you to create more opportunities and win more deals. Welcome back to another episode of the Scalable Growth Podcast. As always, I'm pumped, honoured and excited that you will join us for what will be another incredible episode. Now, if you're a first-time listener, I want to say thank you very much for joining us. We hope you take away some actionable insight and we hope you come back again and again. Um, And if you're a long-time listener, I just want to say I'm grateful. Thank you for showing up. Um, Thank you for helping us. Uh, in our quest in helping sales professionals be the very best they can be. But this week, the reason why I'm really excited because we have, I'd say a veteran, but when you look at him, you're like, mate, this guy doesn't look a day over the the age of 30 years old. He looks young, but he's been doing this for over 25 years. He's a sales coach. He works with SMEs. Um, He helps sellers across a variety of industries um, take their sales to another level. So I just want to say welcome to our show, Dean. Thanks, Luigi. 55 years and still kicking, mate. <laughs> mate, you look, you know what? If, <laughs> I'm hoping I can, I, I need your blueprint to that because you look You look fantastic for 55 years old, man. It's, it's called living the better sales life. That's what I'm all about. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, mate. And you know what's awesome as well? We've got somebody from Australia. I have a lot of guests globally come on the show and it's great to have um, another Aussie Um, jump on our show to talk all things sales. But before we jump into today's session, I think this is going to be a very relevant session because I saw some data, like I think it was around 60% of salespeople missed their quota this last last year. A lot of salespeople are missing their number. Um, They're not getting the right level of coaching from their leaders. I think they're lacking a lot of support. So I'm, I'm really excited to jump into this topic around coaching and how sellers can do a bit of self-coaching, self-reflection. But before we jump into that topic, would you mind just sharing a little bit about, you know, where did you come from? How did you get started into the wacky world of selling?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, so so just to, to top and tail on that, the, the data around mm. what Missing quotas is doing is even scarier. So 62% in a 2022 mental health survey um, which is quite robust around salespeople, reported that their yeah. mental health was either fair or poor. Um, Gartner in 2022 did a, did a research study, it only across about 1,000 salespeople, but they, uh, 89% mm-hmm. of those salespeople were saying they felt burnt out. So missing quote is one thing, but the mental and the emotional impacts that that's having on salespeople is yeah. dramatic. And that's that's where my passion comes okay. from. I got into sales. I didn't get into sales because I wanted yeah. to get into sales. I got into sales because I had to get into sales. Um, you know, I was, I'm an ex-lawyer, um, was an yeah. entrepreneur. That's, let's, let's, you know, that word's very, very loose, but entrepreneur. Um, by 25, I started with nothing. By 25 and a half, I had 137 employees. I had childcare centres all over southeast Queensland. I was developing property. By 27 and a half, I'd blown the whole thing up. I was $437,000 in debt and a mate said to me, you should sell photocopiers. And I said, you're an idiot. And he said to me, he said, no, no, Dino, you're an idiot. You have no idea how much money you could make if you put all your energy and enthusiasm into selling photocopies.' And that's how I got into sales. Oh, wow. Yeah. So commission only, selling copiers and sold my way out of debt and through all of that. Um, and there's a long story from there, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so now 25 years plus consulting, 25 plus countries, companies like Coca-Cola, Oracle, News Corp, Goldman Sachs, and keep yeah. going, so for the biggest and the best in the world, And focus very much around sales performance, um, improving it through a combination of mindset, skills, and improved coaching.
0: Yeah, mate, what a a description! I think, you know, what it's it's, and and thank you for sharing that. um, You know, the story from going from that young hitting hitting a what one would call success and being humbled to go back to start again. (laughs) No, let's run with humiliated, not humble. (laughs) All right, I can say that now and smile, but I'll tell you what, at the time I couldn't. Yeah, it's interesting because I I have spoken to a lot of successful, you know, whether you call them entrepreneurs or business people or even athletes, right? That hit that hit that low point, and they said the best part of the the biggest impact in their career was when they hit that point of like the oh fuck point, right, where they had yeah. to really re um, find themselves again and 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 get the courage to to keep going. And I think that's where a lot of learn. I think because I know what you're saying about the the issues with mental health because, you know, we are in a profession where we're judged by the performance, by the outcomes that we achieve. And yeah. we spend so much time in the role, if we don't hit the number, we're going home. We've got to go home to our families and it's it's not a great it's not a great feeling going home. And they say, How was your day? And you're like, Well Yeah I didn't hit my number again, your confidence starts taking a hit, you start questioning your own capability, then you start questioning your self-worth and like I've been there. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not a nice feeling.
1: And, and Luigi, you, know, you and I have had a few you know, interactions online. Um, I get quite or I get very antsy around this whole rhetoric around the buyers changed, the buyers in control, et cetera, et cetera, because it takes agency away from the salesperson and the mm-hmm. moment – a salesperson believes that they're not the one that makes the difference, Yeah, that cascades into all sorts of problems. And and I think there's just so much rhetoric around don't be salesy, that's not the way it works anymore, it's all digital now. And how do you think that makes a salesperson feel?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's why I get a little bit antsy about that stuff that's going on out there in the market because I think that in some, in some industries it is relevant, but for the majority of salespeople it's not. Yeah. You know, so many articles suggest that everybody's selling to an enterprise, everybody's selling a technology solution and everybody has this amazing digital marketing company behind them. Well, in the SME space, that's just not the case.
0: Yeah, that's right. But but also I think you've touched on something, you know, I was, in, I, I was speaking to someone in the tech sector and they were telling me, you know, like it was like they had this massive aha moment to say, oh, our, our team are actually going to visit, our clients and our prospects in a face-to-face environment. And I'm like, that's not new. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, COVID kind of put a bit of a halt. But even though, you know, and, and I, I, I've I seen that data about, you know, Gartner saying the digital buying experience, I don't like to talk with a salesperson. But where I'm challenged by that, I think there are, like any industry, there are people that, are exhibiting essentially some of the wrong behaviours and customers are saying, well, if you're not creating any value for me, why should I spend time with you? And that's across every industry, right?
1: Yeah, that's fair enough though, isn't it? It's like, yeah. well, sorry, if I've got a friend who's not giving me any value, I don't want to spend time with them So, and I don't need any more friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't yeah. need a salesperson in my office or on my phone or over my Zoom mm-hmm. that isn't actually creating some sort of moment in my life that says, you know what, it's worthwhile spending time mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. You know, it's worthwhile giving you my time, my energy, and my effort. I, yeah. I buy that. And I think that's. I think the challenge is, is that salespeople are getting told they need to add value, but they're not getting shown how yeah. to add value. They're not given the tools that make it easy to add value. And there's this big high-level conversation that goes on at sea level and cascades down to the salesperson who's left holding the bucket. Yeah. So the concepts are great, but if you don't give a salesperson how-to, it's meaningless rhetoric. It drives me crazy. But you know,
0: and I know we, we we're just off on a tangent here, but I'm 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 a believer of, of what you're saying because if I look at some of the books that I've read, you know, from the first time that I started in selling, right? Like if you look at the books from Ogmandino or Dale Carnegie yeah. and it's those timeless principles that actually haven't changed, right? No. Like the fact the is you've changed. got to build relationships, you've got to create value and you've got to help customers choose you because you can't manipulate them to a point of decision. Um, so I don't think the principles of selling have changed. Um, I think you're right. I think it's the perception and the way in which we're being told how we have to do things. Again, I'm looking at some of the things that I execute on a daily basis. I've been doing this since the day I started selling, right? Yeah. Like building relationships, like trying to go above and beyond and creating a really cool experience because we know that emotion drives action, right? The yep. emotion drives people' decisions. So I love, I love what you're saying. I think, I think that itself, we could probably do an episode just on that. Um, but I do want to dive in. Um, you're spending a lot of time with SMEs, with businesses around that coaching element. Do you mind sharing, um, and you're doing a doctorate on this as well, which is huge, right? Like i, I I've got got to have a conversation after this with you about that. But um, what's motivated you to go down that path to really focus on coaching um, from from a sales perspective?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, so so I think anybody watching this podcast has probably seen a ton of marketing and heard a ton of people say that sales coaching is the number one driver of sales Mm -hmm. performance. Now, just to clarify, there's no clear line of peer-reviewed research from a credible institution that confirms that. Right, that, that that actually, that catch cry came from a piece of research by Piska and a bunch of other researchers. And it was fundamentally salespeople and sales leaders said it was the number one driver. No mm-hmm. one's actually empirically proven that. But definitely in my experience over the last 25 years, nothing's going to impact a salesperson's life more than their relationship or their lack of relationship mm-hmm. and the support or the lack of support that they get from sales managers. Yeah. But here's the kicker. What support are sales managers getting? Yeah. You know, and, and you, you think about it, right? So, if, if you start searching for sales coaching product and, and sales coaching methodologies from a credible institution, you end up with a very limited list mm-hmm. and those companies are trying to sell you their programs, mm-hmm. not actually trying to, you know, move the, pro, move the sales coaching and the credibility of sales coaching and the, and the overall philosophy of sales coaching ahead. So yeah. that's why I'm so focused on sales coaching. If I can help a sales leader get at right, then that impacts 10 salespeople. So I'm all for the salesperson on the front line because my, <laughs> my experience was being a salesperson on the front line, being absolutely broke, um, being absolutely fearful, needing to earn some money, not being yeah. sure about a bunch of things. And I was lucky enough that I ended up with a sales manager That absolutely drilled me in all the skills, had developed process, Mm -hmm. hammered me on the process and just did what it took to get me up and running and successful. But that's not the experience of most salespeople. Yeah. I'm open to being told that's wrong, but.
0: No, look, I I I, I agree with you. I mean, I think the the best leadership skills that I learned as a sales leader was from a really poor sales manager. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. Um, But I also empathize with them, right, because you are right. Usually, like was in my case, late 20s, top performer, I was the top performer in the country. Next thing I know it, they're like, you're managing a team. Like, mate, you've given me, I did it because it was, I thought it was a natural progression. I had no training. Um, I didn't get any advice. Uh, I remember I had to performance manage someone double my age, like within the first couple of weeks. Uh, I had no clue what I was doing, but I went in there and did it. <laughs> yeah, but right? if I pause in that moment, you did it because you thought it was progression, mm. not because
1: you had a passion for coaching others, not because you wanted to develop yeah. others, not because you felt you had a skill set that put you in a place where that was going to be a better use of your time, effort, and energy, but because that's the only progression. And this is the challenge we face: is most salespeople mm. just ended up there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It
1: wasn't a conscious choice.
0: Yeah. So. And I'm conscious you're right because we've got a lot of a lot of our audience, our sellers, they're carrying a quota, they're out there. We've got a lot of leaders as well. So I think they're going to get some, some great um, takeaways from this. But if you're a quota carrier, you're out there, you're listening to this going, mate, Dean, you're absolutely right. I need support. My boss is saying you're about to go on a pip. I haven't hit number. <laughs> okay, well, what do I do? Um, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> number <laughs>
0: one, number one, no one's coming to
1: save you. So, you, you, you got, you know, that's one of my favorite catch cries. Mm. No one's coming to save me. And my response to that is, well, then I better do something.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. You know, you talk about old Mandino and all those old writers, and if it is mm. to be, it is up to me. Yeah. Um, those 10 little words. Uh, every salesperson needs to take them to heart. You know, you, you, you're not going to get out of the situation you're in by blaming others, by waiting for your sales manager to show up, by yeah. waiting for marketing to generate the leads. That, that's not going to get you to a better place. You might leave and the churn rate in sales organisations is terrible compared to other industries. You know, we're yeah. around about the 27% mark, depending on which piece of research you're looking at. And that's about 10% higher than most other industries, or oh, sorry, most other roles. Um you've got to first take responsibility you've got to say you know mm-hmm. what the bottom line is if I can't get it handled here I'm probably not going to get it handled elsewhere yeah and seek help but don't expect that it's going to be the solution then I think you've got to focus you know you know Luigi you you've mm-hmm. just got to focus you've got to go what's the one area and I believe there's seven areas that's going to have the biggest impact on my sales over the next 90 days Mm. what's the one lever i can pull or change or improve or focus on or grow and then go like hell on one thing because you try to change seven you change nothing you try to change three you might kind of change one You focus on one amazing stuff happens
0: yeah that's look that's great advice and i've been there you know i have i've i've been there where i've tried to make too many changes and then I f- friggin' fail at all of them because I'm like I'm focusing on too much. Versus, and I, I remember, you know, back in it's showing my age now, uh, 2011, <laughs> I my my end of year quarter bombed like completely. Everything fell out the bottom of it, and I was in a position where I knew I was coming back. I literally was on seek looking for jobs. I had the worst Christmas. I couldn't I couldn't switch off. <sighs> I was worried about it. Right, I was really stressed, and yeah. I'm like looking for jobs I'm like maybe because I was always good at selling I thought maybe the 10 years I was good my luck ran out right that's what I was thinking I was thinking yeah. house of cards right but so I so made you tell decision. yourself
1: as a salesperson it's crazy right and yeah. one sale and you're telling yourself a completely different story.
0: <laughs> i never forget it but then a mentor of mine said to me mate like you know this one quarter doesn't deter like doesn't doesn't determine who you are as a person and you just got to make a decision and I did and I made the decision to go, right, I'm just going to go hell for leather at prospecting, I'm going to ignore everything else and then the rest is history. I won some awards and blah, blah, blah. But So I love what you're saying here but I'd love to sort of get your 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 coaching, right, on again, you're listening to this, you're saying, great, I hear, I hear you, Dean, I need to focus on one thing but how do I use maybe my previous quarter to do some self-coaching. If I'm not yeah, getting the coaching sure. from a leader, how can I do a bit of reflection to figure out what should I focus on?
1: Yeah. Okay. So so look, salespeople and sales teams don't spend enough time analyzing success. Yep. Right? Bottom line is we're successful, someone pats us on the back, we're <laughs> on to the next thing, we're on to the next thing. And it's insane because even just going through the deals you've done for the last 12 months and trying to articulate what are the similarities between those deals the people you dealt with the way that where the lead came from yeah. which presentation you sent them what the cadence of presentations was taking time out to reflect on that stuff is often way more powerful than going to another training program reading another sales book looking for some magical solution in a, in a podcast right yeah. so i think that self reflection but reflecting on where i've had success and then analyzing that from the perspective of, you know, just look at the funnel. Where did that lead come from? What was it that progressed that lead through? When was mm. the moment that I knew that was likely to convert and I wasn't wasting my time? Yeah. Who were the key stakeholders that I interacted with and what was it that tw- turned their buttons on, right? How did I move it through through to a close? And then asking yourself, now, where else can I replicate that, mm. right? Just Taking the time out to self-coach is incredibly powerful, even more powerful when you do it as a team led by a sales leader.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love the way that you broke that down. I love the way that you said, how can I replicate that? Yeah. right. Because I think you're right. I think in every bloody, you know, we hit, we have a great win and next thing you wake up and you just go straight back on the road, man, and you, you're pounding the pavement again and you're not actually going, hey, what, what worked well? Like I know we talk about win-loss analysis and all that stuff, but – you're right how how do we actually break it down and think to yourself how do we replicate
1: even walking out of a meeting getting off a phone call finishing a zoom and just asking yourself right what were the key moments there yeah like when did i know that i had rapport with them Mm. and what was it that they did or said that confirmed that yeah when did i know they started to think of me as an expert when did i know that they were a genuinely interested person And I'm not talking about using some sort of qualification methodology and I do my little letters and I go, yes, that's okay, (laughs) they've got budget, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about when did I know and what what, what signal did they send me and how did I ask for that signal? Just getting into that mental state Mm. after every interaction is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful for self-coaching. And as a leader grabbing your salesperson and getting them into that state by asking them the right questions is insanely powerful for them but also for you as the coach because you can then take what you learn and share it with the rest of the team yeah but we don't we don't stop the the moment we've got a moment to stop we grab our mobile phone and i don't know we start swiping or yeah reading or looking or whatever else it is. And just that that 10 minutes after every successful interaction, 10 minutes after every meeting, you know, it's, it's such yeah. a magical moment if you just use it.
0: This is great advice. So, so what would be some of the questions that, you know, you, you mentioned when did that? and I love this, right, when did I actually have rapport? Because you're right, the qualification methodologies out there, the one thing they fail to really identify is that um, they, that, you know how you have a, an ability, and and, and I'm, I'm losing my words here, yeah. but it's intuition. You know, there is an intuitive part of selling that no methodology can capture, right? Um, I'd love to get your feedback on what are some golden questions as a salesperson, as a leader, I should be asking that's going to allow me to sort of have a really strong coaching conversation, whether it's yeah. with somebody else on my own. All right. So, so there's, there's quite a number and it depends on what stage of the sales process you're at. But yep. I, I
1: use a process or method. I, I love processes because mm. I'm not. I'm an ex-McDonald's kid. I'm a huge yep. believer that you can actually systemize 95% yep. of this stuff that's intuitive and you should systemize it. First question, before you interact, pick up the phone, send an email, go to a meeting, start a Zoom, what am I trying to achieve and where's the advance? Mm right? What am I actually trying to achieve? And where is the advance? Where's the opportunity for the advance? Because any interaction where there's no advance is actually a backwards move.
0: Yeah. All
1: right. And, and again, and again, and again, and I, I think I saw you shared an article this morning about lame presentations and people doing demos that fundamentally have no impact on others and are just going through the process, right? Those mm-hmm. happen because people mistake, oh, my outcome is to do this demo versus my outcome is... To motivate this person to be more likely to purchase, to identify two or three pain points, to highlight those pain points and how they're solved by my solution, to convert that into agreement around the next steps, Mm -hmm. to run through two or three trial closes to test whether or not the person's actually involved, and to gain commitment to the next two to three meetings and meet one other stakeholder. Now, you write all that stuff down Mm -hmm. before a meeting or before a Zoom or before a demo, amazing things happen, but people don't. So, number one is, what are my outcomes? Where's the events? Number two, Do I genuinely have an audience? Yeah. I'm
0: writing this down, actually.
1: (laughs) Right? Do I genuinely have an audience?
0: Yeah.
1: And what I mean by that is, is the person I'm talking to a captive or are they a willing collaborator? (laughs) Because, I mean, you would have been there. I'm sure you've been to sales meetings where you just know the person that you're selling to is going, I have no idea why I'm in this meeting.
0: Yeah. We've been good to get them on the hook, but then they're just not – they're not there. Yeah. And, and A, we, ha- yeah, we we also haven't sent them a, any pre-agenda or, hey, this is what we're going to cover. So no, and we of, and
1: we use some tricky strategy like, hey, tell me about your business, Luigi, because <laughs> everybody loves talking about themselves. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really controlling the agenda. So I'm yeah. a huge believer that the consultative sale is failing because people just don't have time for it. mm-hmm And until you've established an audience, as in the person goes, oh, I know why I'm here and I want to engage, then being consultative is going to cause you to fail. Yeah. And so teams and organizations that spend more time developing their credible reasons, developing the power to deliver a compelling agenda at the start of the meeting, to explain what the value is going to be for the other person, to pace out objections, et cetera, you know, it's called framing. Framing tend to be much more successful at the follow-up steps. But the mm-hmm. bottom line is do I have an audience and did I really have an audience is a yeah. great in- in question if you can be honest about answering it because, look, I'm, I'm a salesman and <laughs> the biggest challenge of being a salesman is you're really good at selling yourself that you are unreal in every meeting.
0: <laughs> I know, <we're> <laughs> and that everybody loves people. you and that yeah. everyone
1: wants to buy from you and if they don't buy from you, it's because they've got a problem not because you weren't selling effectively.
0: <laughs> it's funny, it's funny <laughs> you say that because I remember early in my career, I used to get back from an office my, with my notepad and my boss is like, you know, we, we had the meeting go, yeah, it was fantastic. We, you know, we had a great engagement. He's like, what's the next step? I'm like, hmm. Yeah. We, we didn't really talk about next steps. And, and, this is, this is, and this is why
1: frameworks are so powerful. Now, if your boss had said, mate, take me through the context that you used mm. at the start of the meeting to get them engaged. Take me through how you built credibility and why they think you're an expert and how you know that. Take me through comfort and whether yeah. or not they truly felt comfortable with you and when you knew that was going on. Take me through the concern you created and why they need a solution. Take me Mm. through the commitments you created that confirm that something's going to happen moving forward and take me through how you can clarify to them why our solution is the right solution for them right now. Now, if your boss had used a framework to engage you when you got back, you would have over time Mm. built a much better set of skills before, during and after meetings. But that's not what happens.
0: Yeah, this is great. So what I'm hearing you say, one of the best ways for us to um, coach ourselves if we're not getting it from our leader is to actually have... A bit of a pre-call framework which we can at least lead into a call having that preparation asking ourselves what's the goal of the meeting who are we talking to and then having a, a post-call review to sort of see did I capture this key level of information that allows me to say yes this is a real opportunity and I have progressed it well.
1: As long as the framework's used for conversations not compliance.
0: Okay. You see that yeah.
1: the, the challenge is is that so often, time-poor leaders put together these frameworks and then say, "You must fill this out in the CRM before you go to a meeting, or else."
0: Yeah.
1: But the bottom line is, is that causes salespeople just to gain the things and put in whatever they think that they need yeah. to write in to get away with it, or totally resent them, or probably both. Mm. So frameworks should create better conversations. And if you want to, you know, if you really want to talk about what makes an amazing sales culture and a strong sales culture, it's amazing and strong sales conversations. Yep. Between salespeople and between salespeople and sales leaders. That's what that's the core of an incredible mm. sales culture. All these things should support that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I love it. I love I think you're absolutely right. Like the conversation is critical. Yeah. The conversation that we're having with our, with our prospects, with our clients. Because A, if we think about it, the only way we can differentiate is through the sales conversation. Yeah.
1: Well, well the only way that we can gain competitive advantage yep. and increase the probability. Of success as the salesperson is generally through the quality of conversation and the regularity of and the quantity of conversation as well that we have with the other person and their team
0: so we've gone through gone through we've created a framework to for conversation not for compliance Um, I've identified a couple of areas that I need to focus on how do I go about well what's the the first step I should put in place to help me start to make a change.
1: Okay, so at the at the core of what I call the sales growth blueprint is yep. the concept of compelling story. Yep. Now, compelling story is about do you have the ability to attract others, create interest, and cause desire towards your solution? Are you irresistible, right? But the yeah. other half of compelling story is, are you telling yourself a compelling story? Yeah, So, you see, so many salespeople are running around numb. You know, they they, they don't attach their life, the outcomes they want to achieve in their life, their goals, their mental state, their emotional state to being more successful at sales. Mm -hmm. And because there's no attachment, there's no compelling story that you tell yourself each morning when you wake up saying, hey, where's my hustle? What do I need to do to be successful? How can I gain greater competitive advantage? You know, that's not the story they're telling themselves. The story they're telling themselves is how do I make my boss's quota? Yeah. And, and how do I keep my job? And, and I call this the, the, the bill-paying-budget vicious cycle. Mm. If you're trapped in a cycle of I'm just trying to pay the bills and I'm just trying to make my boss's budget, then there's a huge part of you that's, that's empty.
0: Yeah, because there's no intrinsic motivator, right? There's nothing there that's going to trigger you to really get up out of bed in the morning with that zest, that energy. You know, Paul J. Meyer used to say, it needs to be oozing out of you right that yeah uh, and, and, and it's
1: it's crazy because i feel like we're 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 almost taking the compelling story out of sales in so many organizations you know so i don't believe commissions are evil i believe mm people can be evil. I believe that sales management processes can be evil. I believe that top-down pressure to sell yeah. more stuff, whether the customer needs it or not, can be evil. But commissions on their own are not evil. But we're taking that out of the system. So, the line between, wow, I I achieve that and I earn that is, is getting more and more blurred in so many organizations, which drives me nuts. Yeah. Then we put everything into this nebulous scorecard which is totally discretionary and happens once a year or once every six months. And we wonder why salespeople aren't telling themselves a compelling story. So, here's a big tip for all the salespeople out there. Don't, in the same way as no one's coming to save you, (laughs) don't wait for your organization to give you a compelling story. You've got to create your own goals, your own, you know, link between sales success and achieving what matters to you. If you want to have the energy to make the changes when you get to crossroads like you are
0: at. You know what? That is gold, right? Because you, you're absolutely right. In order for us, and this is, I don't know, I quote a few people, but Brian Tracy used to talk yeah. and says, you know, sales is a transference of enthusiasm. And I'm not talking about that high energy, but we have to be in a role where we get so much. We're going to get rejection. We're going to get no's. We're going to get ghosted. We're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. We've got to continue to put our best foot forward and have that positive mindset, and I love what you're saying, is that's got to be connected to that intrinsic motivator that gets me going and gets me with that energy. So I love that.
1: You have to know why all these little things that you're doing mm. matter. And if they're not contributing to something that's bigger, that you can see and touch and feel and believe in, mm. then it's very hard to be back here motivated about the small things. So so in my business, you know, so the, the standard deal in, the previous iteration of my business was around about a million bucks plus. Yeah. Right. So so and that gets quite exciting when you get out there and you're doing seven figure deals and you go, okay, great, we're actually selling predominantly technology, not pro not not people. So yeah. the, you know, it was exciting. Now my business is much more community focused. So I'm making all these little two thousand to four thousand dollar sales. Yeah. And it's interesting, I've had to re-engineer my whole mind. Mm. Towards get excited about every $2,000 sale and every $4,000 sale because that's another person in your community. You're building this community and in five years' time, that's what the community will look like. And understand that every person that you bring on, it's small now, but that'll be your 1,000-person sales leader conference in five years' time. Right? But if you don't connect the dots and you don't chunk down... You're not going to have the excitement that it takes to, to get you motivated to do the next one and the next one and the next one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Man, I mean, I absolutely think you're right. I think the first thing that we have to, when, we, when we're when we thinking about change and just going back, so we've, you know, if we're thinking about change, we want to make um, a difference or do something different, we've got to think about, well, what's driving me to make that change? Because yeah. as we know, if, there's, if the compelling reason to change isn't there, like our buyers, our buyers will maintain status quo. Right.
1: Yeah. Nice. And and so let me ask you this: When you're a salesperson, what what was your bigger motivator? Was it seeking pleasure, or was it avoiding pain? As in, were you <laughs> running away from being poor, or were you running towards you know being rich and acknowledgement? Exactly. What was your bigger motivator?
0: I think for me, um, I I didn't I, I wanted a better life for my kids, mate. I was a young dad. I was, I was a dad when I was 20 years old. I had cancer when I was 20. Actually, when I three months after I had my child, I. F- Shouldn't be smiling, but I'm
1: excited that we're here now talking about it. Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, it was I just I didn't I, I I went through those moments. I had no money, mate. Like I was yeah I was living not even week to week. There were moments that I didn't know how I was going to pay. Get up in the next day and actually cover my petrol. Yeah. Um. So I didn't want that for my kids, mate. I wanted I, I wanted I wanted them to have a certain lifestyle, and and they are my biggest intrinsic motivators. Like my whole life has been designed about, I want, I wanted to create something for them. Um, so I think you're right. I was running away from the pain. <laughs> yeah, not which, is a, which is an awesome
1: motivator. If yeah. you harness it and you acknowledge it. See, see mm-hmm. to me, I, I, the fear of poverty is absolutely one of my biggest motivators. Right. And I, and I, and I own that yeah. and I embrace that. And, um, I think it's really important for a salesperson to, to reflect on where's my motivation more likely to come from yeah. and how can I trigger that off mm. on a regular basis to get more out of myself. But, you know, the motivation thing, i just that you pulled up change there and I think it's really important that you understand mm. and you develop a sense of why this stuff's important. You some people it's competition. I've just got to beat yeah. everybody else in the team.
0: Well, it's interesting you said because as I, as I moved away from that moment of, okay, you know, went from that, Money, I needed. I needed to security, and then I started working in a mate. I, I'm competitive, man. Like I, I didn't want to get the deal because I wanted the commission. I just wanted to be number one, man, and I wanted to smash everyone else out. Like I had this desire, and there's probably an underlining motivation of why I wanted to achieve that as well, right? Yeah. Um, but. My 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 needs and motivators had changed because I'm just competitive. It's like it's like gonna go to the gym now and I sign up to those challenges. I'm like, yes. Like I signed up to this thing, hyrox Um, it's a it's a challenge dean. And I'm doing it with my the guys from the gym and we had a fitness test last week and I came second. I'm like, right, who beat me? And then I found out his time. So I text him, I'm like, we're training together, man, because I need to beat you. (laughs) I just want to win, man. So I get it. I get it. Um, But, mate, I could talk to you about this stuff all day. um, But just before we wrap up, I would love if you can just share with our audience where is the best place for them to connect, find you, and engage with you and your content? Yeah,
1: for sure. So if they go to bettersalescoach.com, they'll find me. Uh, I suggest you download the free uh, Sales Growth Blueprint. That'll give you some really good ideas around – where you can accelerate sales growth and and, and some really good questions for self-coaching. Yep. Um, if you're a leader, great tool to engage the team awesome. around and basically break it down. Um, and yeah, reach out. I'm, I'm always happy to talk sales growth. I mean, i live and breathe and eat and, and I'm a salesman. Yeah. Um, I love talking sales. That's who I am and what I do. So don't ever be afraid to reach out. We're also doing a program, uh, a LinkedIn event on the uh, 11th of July, I believe. It's on the bettersalescoach.com page around yeah. how to coach salespeople through stress awesome. with an expert, um, uh, Luke Mathers, who's a very good friend of mine who wrote Stress Teflon. So if, if you're a salesperson listening to this and you're under stress... Um, or your sales manager who has salespeople under stress, please come along to that because that's obviously, you know, the, the well-being of salespeople is something that I'm very, very passionate about because I've been through the ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to bring an expert in that space into the sales space.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we get those links from you. We'll pop them in our show notes as well to appreciate make it, it. for our audience to to um, jump onto those events and connect with you. Um, but I just want to say, Dean, thank you so much, mate, for coming on as a guest. Um, we appreciate the content that you create and for helping our sales community, you know, elevate and be the best version of themselves they can be. So thanks very much for joining us on the Scalable Growth Podcast.
1: Love it, Luigi. Thanks so much.